Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, September 11th. The 2020 U.S. Open Women's Semifinals officially in the book, and boy, did they deliver. We were treated to two outstanding three-set matches. Ultimately, Naomi Osaka, Vika Azarenka advancing to their second straight finals in New York. We were supposed to see that match at the Western and Southern Open. Obviously, we did not, and so I know I speak for all of us fans when I say we are so excited to seeing that final play out on Saturday. Of course, what we're going to be doing today, talking about how we got there, talking about how Naomi Osaka was able to come through, talking about how Victoria Azarenka was able to flip the script. We'll also preview today's men's semifinal matches. We'll talk about what else is going on in the tennis world because, of course, even though we're in the midst of a championship weekend at a Grand Slam, the tennis world never sleeps. Joining me to do just that as he has throughout this three-week stretch in New York, you, of course, know him as our Crack Rackets Do Everything, a former Denison men's tennis great, the only undefeated high school tennis coach in Missouri State history, James Foster McDonald. Jamie, your girl Vika pulls through. I know you're excited for today's podcast i know hey i am very very happy and it's crazy too that it's just a rematch of the final of course we didn't actually see that final happen but i mean that's not that's not that often right that you can see that sort of consistency and so that what that tells me is okay these two are playing their best um, and they deserve to be in the final so again as you mentioned the final that we didn't get we finally do now on a bigger stage, just phenomenal stuff. And, and both Osaka and Azarenka look to be in great form. So I'm sure that class will clash will be just as entertaining. I was going to save this for the end, but I'm going to throw this out there now. I tweeted out last night that, you know, and it was in jest, but because this was the final we were supposed to see at the Western Southern Open, what Vika should do to really put it all on the line is bring that Western Southern Open trophy and put that on the sideline and say, hey, Naomi, we're going to play for both of these trophies today. We're going to just say whoever wins today's match is truly the queen of New York. And I threw that out there in jest. There were some likes, some retweets, but I got a retweet from Randy Walker, who of course is one of the biggest book publishers in tennis, who said, quote, this is actually, this has been done before. Sidney Wood and Frank Shields played for the 1931 Wimbledon Trophy in their next grass court match, which was the 1934 Queens Tennis Final. That's incredible. Like, of course it's happened before in tennis's past, but I say have them play for both trophies. I say why not? Just let's go for it. Queen of New York for this winner. I mean, hey, they put a little bit more on the line. That's fun. Uh, but no, I mean, hey, look, Azarenka um, finally gets this shot at Osaka. You know, you feel, you hope, obviously, Osaka looks to be um, in good form. And so if the leg's not bothering her, we do finally get this matchup. Um, but I mean, listen, both of these people playing very, very good tennis here. Both of them come through two-hour battles. Um, hopefully, they're physically fresh. You know, the last thing we want to see is, is one of those finals where someone's just physically doesn't have it in the tank. But from what I can tell right now, I don't think that's going to happen, and I certainly hope not. No, we are going to be treated to some spectacular tennis on Saturday. I think we certainly got the two best players in New York meeting up in this final. And again, we want to talk about how we got there. We'll preview today's matches, do what we always do here on this mini break. And the reason we're able to do so is because of the support we get from our sponsors. You know the deal. Look good, feel good, play good. Midwest Sports Aero Bar cracked rackets. Midwest Sports, go to their website. You're going to be able to find anything you could need on a tennis court. Shoes, strings, grips, you know, uh, clothing, all of the above. You want it. They've got it. Go to their website, MidwestSports.com. Use our promo code CR15. Not only will you let them know that we sent you there, but you'll get uh, 15% off your order. You'll get free two-day shipping on all orders, over $75. Best of all, you'll get that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Go to AeroBar.com order yourself up a box of the only tennis-specific energy bars in the business, more potassium than a banana, delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors, and of course, it comes with a podcast, our Getting to the Point episodes focusing on the importance of nutrition and fitness, which you will hear every Thursday on this mini-break podcast when we are not in the midst of a Grand Slam event, Midwest Sports Aero Bar. We are so grateful for their support. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well, so be sure to go check out those websites websites. But 
Jamie, with that in mind, let's talk about yesterday's semifinals. And again, it's not every semifinal in a women's slam that you're treated to two straight set matches, that you're treated to two players clearly playing at the best of their abilities. Uh, You know, four players, I should say, clearly playing at the best of their abilities. That's what we got yesterday. It really felt like a Grand Slam semifinal. And let's just go chronologically. Let's start with the match that kicked things off. A testament to power hitting Naomi Osaka taking on Jennifer Brady, and in this match, Jamie, uh, Naomi Osaka takes that first set in a breaker, 7-6. Brady comes back for a 6-3 second, but it's Osaka who gets her first break of the match, the only break of the set in the third set early. She pulls away, holds on to that lead, takes the match, 7-6, 3-6, 6-3. Your thoughts on her performance in this match in general? Yeah, look, I mean, Osaka did great in this match. Let's let's just keep it there because Jen Brady, obviously bringing the firepower as we know that she can. I mean, I think the most promising thing for me, at least seeing from Jen Brady, is I was a little worried that the second set was not going to be close, right? Osaka mm-hmm. gets to the breaker, wins it convincingly 7-1, and, and it sort of seemed chalked up to be one of those, okay, tight first set, and then run away with a 6-2 and get out of there in straights. But no, um, I was really, really excited about Jen Brady's performance. Gets back. Back, um, in that second set, grabs the break, wins it 6-3. Ultimately, Osaka just showing why she's a champion and, and in set number three, though, right? She gets that break, as you mentioned early on, holds on to it, um, and, and, and ultimately, you know, gets across the finish line there. But look, as a match, this is pretty much what we expected, right? You know, we didn't know what the score would be and how the, the match would ebb and flow. But in terms of power hitting from the baseline, pretty much got that. Um, and so that was what was to be expected. And now we, we question... Is Osaka looking good enough to win this thing? And I think the answer is still yes, right? It obviously will depend on Azarenka, and we'll get to that in her side of this in a bit. But I think the the, the question has been answered. Is Osaka at the level of being able to win this tournament? And it's got to be absolutely. Yeah, what's so clear for Naomi Osaka, and it's been clear for a while, but it's what makes her so special, is uh, the ability of her first serve. The fact when, you know, for her game, it all starts there. When the first serve is clicking, everything else comes so easily. And in this match, you know, she's only making 57% of her first serves, which again, it hasn't been the best first serve percentage-wise for her this event, but she went 43 of 51 on those points, 84% win percentage. And you look at Osaka through her first six matches, Jamie, 70 I feel like right there, that's a Drake song, right? Couldn't you hear a Drake lyric where it's like 82%, 83%, 84%? Am I wrong here? Am I I just reading them? You should DM him. You should should give him that suggestion. I'm sure he'd let you in the studio for that. Or that feels like a little two chains. He's like 83%. Anyways, um... Naomi Osaka in this one overall 81.2% or Naomi Osaka overall 81.2% on her first serves in these uh, in this event she's just been dominant with that stroke and it's similar and I know this is such an easy and somewhat lazy comparison to make but it's just the obvious one she can dominate a match the way only Serena Williams has been able in the women's game to dominate her match on serve it's just when that's clicking it sets up everything else the plus one balls the control of point. And in this match, you know, Jen Brady had four break chances. She only broke once. You know, both of these players were only able to break serve once. The margins between them so thin, but because Osaka was having so much success on her first serve, you know, she's able to take more chances. She's able to hit 35 winners against 17 unforced errors. And I have a look at the extended stats in this match as well. The big difference for Osaka, because she was able to, you know, hold serve so comfortably. In this match, she makes 66 of 96 uh, of the return look she got. So she's making 69% of her returns. Jen Brady in this match making 60% of her returns. Again, in a match that's decided by one tiebreaker, uh, that little, that 9% of returns in made the difference because Osaka was holding so comfortably in the third set, she was able to just put a little bit more pressure on Brady. And in the end, again, the margins between these two players were so thin. So it's not surprising that, you know, Osaka got that late break in the third and was just able to hold on to it yeah look incredibly thin margins and I think I think we're aligned here that we're hoping that really this lines up with exactly what we're going to see in the finals Osaka against Azarenka but you know quickly on the Jen Brady side I mean 
what a phenomenal run it's been for her. I mean, I think you have to come out of this tournament. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned it. The draw opened up very nicely for her, um, but she did a phenomenal job of you know taking that opportunity. Right? How many times do we see a draw open up for a player um, and they just simply aren't able to convert and go through? Not the case with Jen Brady here at the U.S. Open. A run to the semis in a really tight battle that she potentially could have gotten through against Osaka. I mean, she's got to be feeling great about her game right now. No, I mean, for, I mean, I think uh, one, because we always talk about we wish we had a look at four stairs. I have a look at four stairs in this match. Overall here uh, for Jen Brady, she forces 39 errors. Osaka forces 36. They both have 35 winners. This really was an either-or match. And quickly to the Jen Brady side of this, you look at where she's at in the live rankings after her run this summer. And, of course, just a reminder, she ended up winning in Kentucky her first WTA title. She lost first round of Western Southern, but obviously first time making the semifinals at a major. She's now up to 25 in the world, and for the 25-year-old American, obviously, we all saw what she's capable of doing uh, when she's playing well, and it really hasn't just been, this isn't a fluke run, right? This is the culmination of, like, six straight weeks in the WTA Tour. Now there's a five-and-a-half-month layoff in between, but six straight weeks of solid results for Jen Brady. Where do you? Th- where are your thoughts on her game coming out of this event? I mean, look, she she seems to be in phenomenal form, um, and you know, I, I think that's a given with these results. I mean, I, I think she's asking a lot of questions of herself right now. Maybe that she, maybe even better questions that she was than she was expecting, right? Of like, oh wow, I'm, I can be this good, right? Like, I can be at the top, and and that's not to say that she was doubting her confidence, but just coming in, if you told her, hey, you're going to have an absolute battle in the semis against Osaka and and, and barely lose this thing as the 28 seed after losing first round of Western and Southern, like she's simply not expecting that. Um, and so I think this is a phenomenal one for her to take away. And now she knows she has the confidence that she can hit with anyone. She can hit with the biggest and she can hit people off the court, stay in matches, even against the most powerful in someone like a Naomi Osaka. I mean, so for right now, I mean, I, I don't know how you're not seeing her as one of the top, you know, 10 players on the tour right now. I know obviously the tour being a weird thing where so many of the top players are not playing, but if she's not in your list of, you know, top 10 right now, you know, I don't know who is. Two things I would clarify there would be uh, top 10 hardcore players. I, I'm not ready to say how this translates on clay or grass yet, just because we haven't seen it yet. But Fair. I agree. Yeah, and I agree with your sentiment. I would also say the thing that's most encouraging is just how replicable these performances felt for Jen Brady. It's not like she was playing out of her mind or treeing or everything's finding the lines. Like, you know, for Parankova, with all due respect, I just thought for her, this was just a dream week. She was playing so freely. She was just everything. She was swinging for seemed to be dropping in and I'm not saying she can't repeat that sort of performance but for Jen Brady it didn't feel it didn't feel it just felt routine it just felt like yep this is how I play now this is my game this is how I go out there and uh you know enforce my will on the court and just it, it was so impressive from her I completely agree with you I think at 25 years old we are going to see a lot of good tennis from Jen Brady over these next five six seven years and I think that's something as an American tennis fan again throw her on the list of names just adding to the depth of how many incredible players there are right now uh in the game but of course for for Naomi Osaka, she now advances to her third Grand Slam final. She won the U.S. Open back in 2018. She's back in a Grand Slam final for the first time since the Australian Open in 2019. And I know I speak for all of us when I say we are so looking forward to her matchup in the semi uh, in the final, excuse me, against Victoria Azarenka. And for a while there, Jamie, particularly through that first 20 minutes, that did not seem like it was going to be the case. It felt like we were going to get a 20. 18 rematch of Serena and Osaka. Serena just coming out and blitzing Vika from the start. She races out to a 6-1 lead. She's hitting big serves through set one. She's finding corners, uh, just playing such efficient tennis in that first set. But Jamie, you could start to feel it at the end of the first. Vika started to find her range. Vika started to extend points. And ultimately, she was able to flip the script here. 1-6-6-3-6-3. It's Vika's fifth win over Serena in now 23 tries. But certainly, you could argue, the most significant win of her career. I mean, outside of her two majors. 
Yeah, I mean, this one's big, right? And getting back to a Grand Slam Finals after years and years of gap, I think, what, the second longest gap between finals um, in the women's game. So she's got to be feeling great at this point. And look, at the beginning of this match, I was absolutely concerned. It's like, oh boy, what did I get myself into? Pick and Vika to win this one as well. Um, and it, she was just a bit shell-shocked, right? That level that we saw you know, in the previous round in the quarters was not there from the start at all. Um, and so I was like, uh-oh, did the, did the Vika finally wear off that we had seen? But mm-hmm. in fact, she flips that script. As you mentioned, the great competitor she is. After the second set, you know, it, it wasn't one of those where I felt, oh, hey, Serena really has control of this and is going to get the third back. I really did think Azarenka was going to pull through and end that. She did. She ends up getting that break winning 6-3. Look. For me, in this match, there's a lot to say. Um, I think you can talk about the Serena side of this. You can talk about how Azarenka pulled this thing together. Overall, though, are you disappointed that we didn't get to see the Serena-Osaka rematch at the final of the U.S. Open? No. Well, yes and no. But let me start with the Vika part. Well, let me start with the no portion of this because certainly for Victoria Azarenka, she deserves to be in this U.S. Open final. She is clearly, her and Osaka, the two best players in New York. They've proven it by making back-to-back finals at back-to-back events. And for Vika, what was so confounding about the start to this match was it wasn't even anything she was doing wrong. It was just Serena came out with a fire that we hadn't seen from her throughout this entire restart the way she was moving and hitting on the run and forcing Vika to the corners and using her serve to dictate and just the confidence with which she was playing, you could tell Vika was like, wait a second, this doesn't feel right. How did this happen? How do I find myself down 4-0? And you could just see Vika process, okay, slow things down. You know, make that extra ball. Keep going for your down the lines, but just give yourself a little bit more margin. Force Serena to continue to play this well. And, you know, I think that's what Vika did so great in this match. The way she competed, the way she, you know, just kind of battened down the hatches. You know, in the first set, she makes uh, 52% of her first serves. Set two, that number 79%. Set three, that number 76%. She just made things more simple for herself. And she continued to attack. You could just, it was her it was her body language as well throughout the match, the way she stayed confident, the way she just always seemed to be fidgeting and moving and just trying to show Serena, hey, I'm still here. I'm still present. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not afraid of you. And it's so often in a big stage when Serena jumps on you like that, you know, if she gets up 4-0 in the first 20 minutes, the match is over because by the time you get yourself into the match, she's already up a set and a break and then it's over. That didn't happen to Vika. And so I think she so clearly based on her performance and again in this match overall. Uh, 25 winners against 17 unforced errors, made 68% of her first serves, won 68% of those points, uh, three of seven on break chances, but obviously raised her level so well in sets two and three. She deserves to be in the final. She's a former Grand Slam champion. She's an outstanding personality, a great advocate for the game. Uh, I think her being there is obviously so beneficial, but of course, the pageantry of Serena Osaka, Serena going for number 24, Osaka trying to beat Serena again in a Grand Slam final, the third straight U.S. Open for Serena, where it would go Osaka Andrescu Osaka. Am I upset that I'm robbed of the drama of that moment? Of course, but I think having watched these past three weeks so closely, you know, there's just no denying Victoria Azarenka deserves to be in this final. Yeah, no, that's true. And and that was never in question, right? Because, you know, the level we've seen from her has just been so impressive. And it's one of the reasons that, you know, I was so high on her going through this tournament. I think for me, set one, like, yes, Serena did a lot right. Azarenka did not play her cleanest game. For me, all of it's highlighted or most of it is highlighted in how the two served, right? I mean, so Azarenka, four double faults in the first set only wins 40% of the points on her first serve. Flip that over to the Serena side, who's winning 86% on her first serve, right? And so clearly once that levels out a bit, you know, this is going to be a different match. That's part of the reason it was just so one-sided in set number one. And I'm really glad that that trend did not hold because that would have just been an an absolute shame for Azarenka's run to end that way. So ends up flipping the script, getting this thing done in two hours after a very quick set number one. And yeah, you got to feel for Serena here, but Azarenka just showing she's too good right now. Yeah, no, it was such a great performance from Azarenka, and the best was you could just see the smile on her face after the match finished, the relief in her body language. She knew, again, what was so impressive for Vika is anyone who had been watching this event, anyone who had been watching any of the action in New York, it's why she was the favorite on DraftKings. It's why a lot of 
people, uh, you know, prominent people are saying, yeah, you, you probably have to lean Vika, you and I both included, just based on her level of play. I mean, I freaking picked her as my ace of the day. I picked against Serena. Do you know how difficult that was? You know, I'm sitting here, Westoff's like, dude, let's record, let's record. I'm like, okay, but I'm about to pick against Serena, and I don't feel very good about that. And Vika made you feel good. Just the way she, even though she lost that first six, uh, first set 6-1, it was the fact that the last 20 minutes of that set felt very different. You could feel Vika start to work her way into the match, and you could just tell from her body language, even though she got broken to lose the set, that she wasn't going anywhere. And just, it was a really impressive performance from Victoria Azarenka, and now we get a really fun final with her against Naomi Osaka, Azarenka, Osaka, uh, Azarenka 1-2 and two in her career against Osaka. That's not including that Western and Southern result. We saw Vika beat her back in the 2016 Australian Open Osaka's beaten her twice on clay since that, but this is going to be a really fun battle, Jamie, and I know we'll break it down in depth tomorrow, but are you leaning one way or the other, or do you need a day to do some research? I mean, I don't think any research is really going to change this, especially because you look at the head-to-head between these two, and things are just so different, right? I mean, Azarenka Mm -hmm. showing a level that we haven't seen from her in years, um, even, you know, before 2016, right? So um, I think this one is very different indeed. Look, you'd be crazy to not think that Osaka is going to impose her game somewhat. It's just, I, I don't know. I I haven't doubted Azarenka yet, and I don't know why I would now. Now, we'll obviously break it down and talk more in depth on tomorrow's pod, but at this point, you know, I it feels it feels like a betrayal if I'm not backing Azarenka because I've been doing it for the last two weeks. <laughs> I appreciate that. As a man who refuses to pick in the Alex Zverev PCB match on principle against Zverev just because I can't, um, yeah, I, I completely exactly. back that. And I guess watching this Vika Serena match, the only thing that concerns the wrong word, but if you're Vika, the thing you're hesitant about is what Serena did in the first set to Vika. Osaka could do that to her for an entire match. That's the level yeah. we've seen from Osaka in this tournament, and I think that was what you were alluding to, and I completely agree with you there. Um, but give me, yeah, give me a day. I'm going to go watch, again, some footage of these two over these past, you know, three weeks, see if I can come up with any little things, the patterns, the routines, but it's going to be a barn burner. It's exactly what you want, the two best players reaching the final, and it's going to be really fun to see these two uh, champions competing at, obviously, the biggest stage of tennis. So, really fun women's semifinal day. They have set a high bar for the men to match, and of course, that is what we are going to be seeing today, our men's single semifinals. Pablo Carreno Busta taking on Alex Virev. Dominic team taking on Daniil Medvedev. Let's start with the Zverev Kreno Busta portion of this match, Jamie. And you look at the numbers for these two players in terms of how much time they have both spent on court heading in to this semifinal. Kreno Busta, 12 hours on courts, 11, I should say 11 hours, 56 minutes. Of course, he just played the five set battle versus Denis Shapovalov and is aided by the fact that he got that withdrawal from Novak Djokovic for Alexander Zverev. He has been on court for about 14 hours, 13.53. Uh, Both players have dropped four sets total. They also both have had two days off. They played their semifinals, I believe, back on Tuesday, or their quarterfinals, excuse me, on Tuesday. You look at the career head-to-head between these two. They've only played once. Virov leads 1-0. He beat Karina Busta 7-6-6-2 in the semifinals of Miami back in 2018. Jamie, I hate to say it because the second he feels this way, this is when he gets in trouble. But Alex, you're a prohibitive favorite entering this match. I don't know. How are you feeling? I don't know. The deeper we are into this tournament, I think the the less of a favorite he becomes, regardless of who he's facing. Um, and, and that's not a dig on him. It's just as things get tighter in this tournament, you know, you're playing a guy like Karina Busta, who obviously benefits from a weird opening in the draw with Djokovic, but somebody who's been playing really well and someone who I'll give you credit here where it's due. You talked about how much of a force he is on a hard court, and you're absolutely right. And so to me, I mean... Karina Busta is a guy who takes the opportunities in front of him, right? And so if Zverev starts getting tight and gives those opportunities away, Karina Busta is, should absolutely be there to pick up the pieces. Now, despite all of that, who has the largest weapons on the, on, on the court? Who's the one who's going to be getting the most free points out of serves? It's, it's Alex Zverev, and it's not close. So to me, if Alex Zverev plays a clean game, even let's call it a B, 
of, of what he needs to do, he's winning this match. He just I, is because he has the ability to get those free points. But if mm-hmm. he dips in level, if he comes out flat, if he gets down, he gets himself down love 30 in service games, Karina Busta can take this thing and run with it. So it, this one is an absolute stay away from me. And that's completely against or not even near the moral principles of going against Alex Zverev. It's simply because I'm scared. <laughs> Well, I made one of my aces of the day as opposed to picking a winner outright. I took over 0.5 tiebreakers in this match because I just think nerves are going to be a factor. I think inevitably you're going to see a match where maybe one of the players serves for the set or has an opportunity to break for the set. They're not going to come through, and it's just going to end up in a breaker. I know you like that pick, but I just— I completely agree with you. The biggest weapon on the court is the Alex Zverev serve. It's the strat singly most capable of winning free points for either of these players. And it, and I say for either of these players because guess what? Just as likely as he is to hit an ace, he's likely to hit a double fault. So it's going to work both ways. But I mean, okay, so I have a question for you. And because, I, you know, I, I tweeted this out today and it's a conversation going on in my DMs, right? Or in my notifications as we're recording this podcast. But what can Pablo Carreno boost, in your opinion, Jamie, do to hurt Alex Virev that Borna Chorich couldn't? Be- and the reason I ask that is because let's say nerves are a factor. Well, nerves were a factor for Zverev against Chorich, obviously. And someone was saying, well, you know, if those nerves manifest themselves, Carreno boost is going to be able to hurt Zverev in ways Chorich wasn't. My answer to that would be, is he? Like, is he really? Like, what What does Pablo Carino Busta... And then again, this is not to be disrespectful to Pablo Carino Busta, who is an outstanding player. This is to speak about the level Alex Vera is, is capable of. And I just don't know how PCB is going to be able to hurt Zverev in ways George wasn't. And, you know, considering Zverev got through that one, despite the nerves, and I know he had to win two tiebreakers to get through it. But, you know, I'm just... I, I don't know what, what does a PCB win look like. Sure. So let's, yeah, I'll go back really quickly to address sort of the Chorich comparison part of this. You know, for me, and maybe, you know, call this semantic, the wording of it, it's not that Chorich couldn't hurt Zverev, it's that he didn't in this match. Um, okay. Because Zverev, obviously, uh, Zverev, Chorich, they were both super tight. We, didn't, we don't need to go readdress that sort of ugly match. Um, but Chorich has the weapons, um, but did he use them? And did they, were they effective? No. So that's the difference to me. Is it, it, the George, you know, if he does, he does have the big weapons. He can rip backhands down the line. Um, he can create angles cross court. He can he can be incredibly aggressive with his movement. You know, cut things off. Come to, so he has these weapons in his toolkit. It just he didn't use them effectively, nor did he execute properly in his match against Zverev. And again, so many nerves in that one. So I think a lot can be attributed to that. For Karina Busta. No, I don't think he necessarily has more weapons than Borna Chorich did. And so that's a bit concerning in the camp of, okay, where are you going to win these free points? How are you going to get this done? To me, it's simply about execution, right? Because if Karina Busta, I mean, his backhand can hold up against Zverev's. um, And there's not that many people on a hard court that you can say that against Alex Zverev, but I do feel confident in saying that. I don't think that Zverev is going to win this match by going into cross-court backhand rallies against Karina Busta. Um, He handles pace incredibly well. He can redirect. He can hit the pass if Zverev is in the plus one and coming to the net. So I think there's a world where that happens. But again, the way that Karina Busta wins this match is just by being incredibly solid. Yes, he needs to take his chances. Yes, he needs to change up the rhythm on Alex Zverev. You know, some points, you know, he needs to grind. Some points he needs to switch directions and go down the line quickly. Sometimes he needs to be the aggressor, get Zverev on his back feet and move to the net i just think it has to be a comprehensive all-court performance here he's not going to be able to rely on one thing right he can't be a one-trick pony in this one his backhand isn't lights out enough that he's going to be able to sit from the back wait for the backhand and rip the winner it's just not going to work he's going to have to do 10 different things well and ultimately this is what happens when you play a guy with bigger weapons gotta hope that the other one's big weapon isn't firing yeah absolutely but you know, when you think back on that Shapovalov match, when I think of what PCB did, well, it was absorbing Shapovalov's pace. It was redirecting that big forehand sure, the down the line with his yeah. backhand. Exactly. And that's just not what Zverev's going to do. Zverev's not going to be looking to move forward. What? Didn't Shapovalov have like 70 points at the net against PCB in that five-set yeah. match? Just the way Zverev's nerves manifested themselves against Chorich, and then the match just got really ugly. Like, isn't that exactly what's going to happen with Kareno Busta? If Zverev's six feet behind the base, 
baseline, won't Carreno Busta be doing the same thing? And so I think it could be a very similar match to what we saw in the quarterfinals. And, you know, just given that fact, given, again, we've, we've covered this, but certainly Alex, you're of the higher upside, right? If he's playing aggressive tennis, if he's playing sure, cleanly, right. and, the and nerves I... don't manifest themselves there. The, the, in the realm of possibilities, the Zverev straight set win is very much a possibility. Yeah, and it's a Zverev straight set win is much more possible than a Karina Busta straight set win. That's that it seems clear at this point. But I think Karina Busta, you know, like let's take another comparison from another Spaniard player, for example. If Batista Agut is in this match against Zverev, are you are you having the similar concerns for him? Well, that's uh, no, because to me, it's different, to, but it's different. Sure, it's slightly, I, it is slightly yeah. different, but I see it in the same camp as the fact that he's in this match. He's clearly not going to have the biggest weapons on court, but he can hang with pace. He can absorb it. He can redirect. He's got phenomenal movement, and he's going to stay so solid. So in that sort of camp, I see Karina Busta in a similar position. Again, match isn't on his racket. It's just not. Zverev has the weapons, and he's going to be dictating. Again, though, that's why I think it's going to be so key for Karina Busta to switch things up, right? He can't get into this you know, scenario where, okay, well, all I'm going to do is stand five feet behind the baseline, hope Zverev misses mid-rally or doesn't have a good serve and play. He's going to have to push the envelope, right? He's going to have to switch up the rhythm a little bit. Um, Shapovalov didn't really do that because he was just slapping and then coming into the net, and so that was essentially the decided rhythm of the match. Karina Boost are going to have to wrangle a bit of control away from Zverev in this one. Yeah. Well, then, with that in mind, give me your pick. Oh, God. I, mm, the, the <laughs> grinder in me just wants Karina Busta to come out here <laughs> and just be so solid and win this thing. Um, I, I think your, your pick is dead on that there's got to be at least one breaker, right? I mean, between these two, you, you have to think Zverev's going to win this thing. I, Give me the upset. I'm going Karina Busta to the finals. I don't care. Zverev's probably going to win this thing. Ultimately, Zverev <laughs> should win this thing. Like it, Zverev should win this thing. Let's 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 make that abundantly clear. Alex Zverev should win this match and go to the finals of the 2020 U.S. Open. That is just a fact at this point. But will he? I don't know. So <laughs> give me the underdog because I want to pick somebody who I'm actively rooting for. I'm actively rooting for Pablo Karina Busta. Give me him four sets. Okay. Karina Busta that- wins. Have you ever heard the expression happy li- uh, happy wife, happy life? Yeah. So I don't know why you would be rooting against a Zverev win here when you know how miserable I will be if Zverev loses and my misery will absolutely be ta- taken out. It's the wrong word, but it will manifest itself certainly in our conversations. Well, so what does that mean? I'm supposed to be woe is me miserable with you too? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a team here. Um, okay. No. That's fair. I actually like it better, obviously, when, we, uh, when we're when we on opposite sides. Yeah, we, we've covered it all, so with, for the sake of not repeating ourselves, I'll take Zverev in a hesitant four sets, but it, uh, meh. I mean, look, if the F-bomb, if the over-under on DraftKings is over-under eight and a half F-bombs will be sent directly in via text from me to Jamie at some point in this match, take the over because it's going to be a stressful one. I, I can't wait till Zverev gets broken in his first service game and I text you immediately. I'm not even going to text you anything with context. I'm going to just text, like, hit the space bar and hit send. And be like, yeah, but this is I know you're watching. Like, yeah, but like that to me would be okay. I'm like, yeah, I'm prepared for him to go down 3-0. It's when we get into the second set and the third set that I'll start yelling, right? And so that's when things get difficult. But no, that's going to be a really fun match. And, uh, you know, and we just spent, I think, 10 minutes previewing that one. We could do a full hour on this Team Medvedev semifinal. We're getting on the other half of the draw, Jamie, and we won't. Don't worry. Um, But just in terms of Team Medvedev, I mean, these are two players, the heir apparent, right? I mean, along with Svirov. These are the players we expected to be the guys in the— in the lead to potentially break through to end the cycle of big three dominance. And you talk about it for Dominic team finalist at this year's Australian Open finalist at the past two French Opens. You talk for Daniil Medvedev, obviously the incredible summer last year that culminated with him taking Rafa to the brink five sets in that U.S. Open final. 
This is a place where we expected these two players to be heading into 2020, and obviously the extraordinary circumstances of a five-and-a-half-month layoff sort of stalled the momentum, but these two players now find themselves with a legitimate shot to get back to the U.S. Open, and I, just so you know, on DraftKings, bookmakers everywhere, these two are the two oddsmaker leaders uh, in terms of the favorites to win this U.S. Open. It's going to be an absolute barn burner, and again, the same numbers for you I gave you at the start for uh, Zverev, Karina Busta, these two players, Medvedev been on court for about 10 hours, Dominic Team been on court for 10 and a half, Medvedev, the only player in the draw who has yet to drop a set, he obviously came close against Rublev, but he did not, Dominic Team just the one set loss to Marin Cilic, you look at their career head-to-head, they've only played, I believe, three times in their career, Daniil Medvedev winning their matchup last year on the hard courts in Canada, Team last year winning in a Barcelona final over Medvedev and then indoor hardcourt St. Petersburg 7-6 in the third in 2018. Jamie, one of our ace of the days uh, was taking the over on three and a half sets for this match. I think it's going to be a barn burner. What do you think? Yeah, I feel like it's got to be. Listen, you know, you mentioned it right at the start here that both of these, these are the the favorites um, no matter what, right? Whoever's coming out of this match is going to be the favorite in the final and realistically that just that's just true at this point these people i mean look medvedev and team have both just been a level above both karina busta and zverev so they deserve that this is a tough matchup um i mean look daniel medvedev obviously just so difficult to play against right i mean it's evident in the fact that he has not dropped a set team only dropped the set to a former u.s champ and, and it was only the one so both of these guys are in phenomenal form I think we know a lot of what, look, we know what we're getting into here, right? I mean, team is going to be hitting huge balls from the baseline. Medvedev going to be retrieving, going to come up with something tricky, throw off that rhythm. I I would be incredibly surprised. I I like your ace of the day because I would be, I would be so surprised if this thing isn't four or five sets. Um, If this thing is straight sets, I mean, whoever wins it in straights is a ridiculously heavy favorite in the finals. We'll put it that way, because if they're showing a level that's that high, that's able to beat the other one in straights. I mean, what does that mean for the other side of this draw? Yeah, short of one of these players, just a brain fart out there, like the Medvedev cramps carry over uh, from the end of his match, and I don't expect them to because, again, if you watched this U.S. Open last year, you've seen Medvedev struggle with his leg before, turn to the two big serves, and it ends up working for him. Um, I mean, look, the thing that gives me pause in this match, and if you remember that Canada, that Masters event for Medvedev, that win in the quarterfinals, that was just a stinker from Dominic Team. He played so, so poorly, and he just did not have a great summer hardcourt stretch last Last year, but you know, for Dominic Team, the last thing you want to do as his opponent is give him time, right? If you're six feet behind the baseline, camping out, just giving him balls that he can set up on, that he can run around, hit his forehand with, or swing through that backhand easily with, then you're in for a rough day. And the thing for Daniil Medvedev is he is going to give Dominic Team chances to do that. He is going to throw up some elevated balls over the net. He is going to be six feet behind the baseline, throw some slices at team, but he's also going to change direction on team. He's also going to try and take time away from team. He's also got this sort of big serve that can expose an improving, but still probably weakest part of his game backhand return for Dominic team. And, you know, again, for Medvedev, what you have to like always for him is that there's plan A, there's plan B, there's plan C, there's plan D, there's plan E. E. He can go through the entire alphabet and do that many different things to make life uncomfortable for his opponent. And yet the way Dominic Team is just swinging so freely, he's clearly going to have chances to attack in this one. He's, you know, if he's able to serve a high first serve percentage, he should be able to play plus one tennis, get a look at first forehands because Medvedev, really good depth on his returns, but it's not like he's, you know, really taking time away. He's just really getting the point back to neutral, but neutral is not a place you ever want to be with Dominic Team because he turns neutral to offense so quickly. It's a freaking battle. Like, I'm trying to script what does a Medvedev win look like in my head? What does a team look like a win look like in my head? And that's why when we got to the aces of the day, I was like, all I know is no matter what the win looks like, it's going to be over three sets. There's no way uh, either of these players are coming out of this match without a set in their pocket. Yeah, I, I agree. I would be very, very surprised if that's the way it ends up. And and for me, you know, to sort of answer, I know it was somewhat of a rhetorical question, but we'll go for it. What, do a, what does a win look like for either of these players? 
I mean, look, you mentioned it. Dominic team's going to be on offense for this entire match. So for me, you know, it's going to be painful to watch him do it because as somebody who hates missing, Daniel Medvedev is going to get three more balls back and team's going to miss. He's going to miss a lot of shots going for the line and barely missing. And like, yeah, that's that's sort of the game he plays, that high power offense. Um, but it's going to be tough to watch him blow games doing that. Um, I think it's going to happen. Ultimately, for me, though, the margin is so thin in this one that it comes down to the to those team ground strokes. Um, I think if team is able to just dictate and execute really, really well, if he's able to hit the third, fourth, fifth ball and just wear Medvedev down, he will win this match. The thing is, though, if he's not completely crisp and on it, Medvedev will make him pay because you mentioned it. Not only can he retrieve, he can absorb that pace, change direction so well. You know, you, Medvedev looks out of a point and out of nowhere, he hits a down the line winner with that backhand from six feet behind the baseline and team will be left there, you know, wondering what the hell just happened. Look, Dominic team will have every chance in the book to win this match. That's my feeling at this point. If he executes well, this match is completely on his racket. But Medvedev is going to have chances as well. Dominic team, we know what happens with him sometimes. He'll spray a couple balls in a row. He'll get down love 30 in the service game. And so Medvedev absolutely needs to take care and take those chances as they come. Regardless, though, I think you're right. This thing has to be a non-straight set win. Yeah, so with that in mind, give me your pick. Oh. I know it's brutal today. This is a brutal one. It's tough Give me because oh, I like it. So Give me to, so to your point, you you said it. This match has more of a chance of being dictated on Dominic Team's terms than it does on Daniil Medvedev's. And so, if you're looking for a winner again in a five-hour slugfest, you probably want the guy who's been playing more offense than the guy who's been in retrieval mode. And so frequently, how many times have you heard? Well, you know, Dominic Team's just a righty version of Nadal in terms of the sort of ball he hits in terms of what he wants to do. And it's not a direct comparison because Nadal a little bit closer to the baseline. Nadal now more willing probably to move forward than a Dominic team but just the heaviness of their ball it just it's going to remind you a lot of what you saw in that u.s open final last year but i like medvedev i'll i'll go on the medvedev side we can disagree on both of these i just think he's so solid i think that first serves the probably the biggest well i mean they both have so many big weapons but it's probably the most reliable weapon in this match and i think it's going to make the difference i'll take medvedev in five but i think it's going to be a barn burner i think it's five sets either way i think it's five sets either way yeah. it's it probably is. I mean, this by the thing way, could... plus two fifty if you want to bet on five sets. I've I've thrown money at stupider parlays than taking five sets at plus two fifty. Damn, that's not. What do they know that we don't? No, um... they exactly. exactly. <laughs> Hold on. Now that's <laughs> God. I mean, yeah. So I, I guess there's there's definitely a world where this is four. I don't know where there's if there's a world where this is three sets because of the level both these guys have been playing. But yeah, I got I got to take team regardless. I mean, look, Medvedev incredibly good at what he does but again it's just it comes down to belief in the team you know first strike tennis and it's hard to doubt him with what we've seen thus far yeah no I agree with you well either way it's obviously going to be an extraordinary day of tennis just a couple other quick things I want to talk about and then we'll wrap today's show obviously today's semifinals 4 p.m starts as opposed to yesterday when they were 7 p.m starts Uh, but just quickly some of the other things going on in tennis we've talked about it earlier this week clay court uh, tennis has started the event at the ATP level in Kitzbühel for the WTA event it's in Istanbul Jamie for the first time since I believe the 90 or since 1990, there will be three qualifiers, Laszlo Jir, Yannick Hoffman, Martin Hussler, uh, who are in the semifinals of this event in Kitzbühel. Uh, so again, you thought the funky tennis stopped after this U.S. Open? No, 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 no. We have a full clay season of funky results to get to. And if you think things get weird on hard courts, Jamie, I can only imagine some of the things we're about to see on clay. Yeah, and, and let's address this really quickly. We don't need to spend too much time on it, but Laszlo Giri getting through, great for him. What's going on with Diego Schwartzman, right? Especially getting yeah. back on clay. What What's going on there, right? I mean, no, we, we saw him I just think that's a tough early, trans- yeah. yeah, it's tough, tough translation. He played a really hard three-set match the round before against Ofner. I just, I think he wasn't ready for this one. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's true. It's just, it's interesting to see a guy like Diego, not only is he so comfortable on the clay, but we saw him doing very, I mean, look to be very well on the hard courts, then flames out early at the U.S. Open, switches back to clay. You're like, okay, he'll get his rhythm back. Loses a match like this in straights. I mean, just, I don't know, it's surprising. Yeah, he did have a tough match the round before, but still for Diego, I think he needs to, you know, 
get back on this thing and, and get back to the rock solid Diego Schwartzman we all know. Yeah, I'm just going to throw this out there right now as well. Two things. One, Miamir Kasmanovic, the only non-qualifier. He won, I think, wasn't it he made the final or he won in Antalya on, on clay last year right before Wimbledon. Uh, he's a guy who, again, I'm circling him right now as someone I could see make a run at this French Open. Another guy who, just a dangerous floater in the draw, is going to be Yana Konifman, who was inside the top 100 but got injured, the former USC All-American. In my opinion, the... I don't want to say the most disrespected, but the most underrated men's college tennis player of the 2010s was certainly Yannick Hoffman. Really good wins for him over Martyr in this event, over Dusan Lajevic in this event, over Sasha Bublik in this event. Uh, he is healthy and he's playing some really good tennis. And just quickly, uh, I talked about Hussler uh, for him, Mark Andrea Hussler, the first player who's never been inside the top 250 to qualify for an ATP quarterfinal uh, since Jijin Zhang did it in Shenzhen 2017. So again, there is tennis going on all across the world. As I mentioned, there's the WTA event in Istanbul. Uh, Jeannie Bouchard advancing to the semifinals there. I know uh, Badosa you know, took out Herzog. Teague is playing Peterson. Sasanovich playing Martin Sova. So a ton of great tennis. If For those of you who are looking to watch a little bit of action before the U.S. Open kicks off uh, later this weekend, we've also got the challengers in uh, Provence. Uh, we've got the challenger in the Czech Republic as well. ITF events going on. So plenty of tennis to watch uh, in the tennis world. Of course, something we love watching here at Cracked Rackets, college tennis. And the last note I just want to make, we learned yesterday, of course, another college tennis program. So many college athletic departments uh, uh, going tough through tough financial times as we all are given the implications of this global pandemic for the Big Ten in particular. You know they're not playing football right now, and we are still trying to learn what the uh, implications will be of that decision. Well, another Big Ten school, Minnesota, announcing yesterday that they are going to be cutting their men's tennis program moving forward and Obviously, as a college tennis fan, it's crushing whenever any of these programs cut their uh, cut their teams. But you know, Minnesota was a school with a rich history of college tennis. You look at the 1980s, the 1990s; they were a powerhouse in the Big Ten. And this isn't a team that was you know borderline top 50. This was a top 30 program for the duration of its stay. And you know what you're learning here. Obviously, the lack of football for the Big Ten is hurting so many of these schools. But right now, it's cold weather schools. The fact that for some of these schools, the expenses of having to rent out indoor facilities during the February, March, January portions of the season, or, you know, the fact that they'd have to build their own facilities if they didn't want to do that, that that those are the little justifications being used right now. And it's just, it's tragic, Jamie, because again, college tennis as a pathway, not just to the pros, but for so many people to get an education, to have exposure to so many different uh, types of people that they would never otherwise have. It's just, it's crushing. Yeah, this one hurts. Um, you know, there's there's really no other way to put it. I mean, I think obviously we were already living in a world where um, men's tennis programs in particular didn't exist um, at a lot of large schools that you would simply expect those to happen. A lot of, you know, power five conferences, schools and down goes another big 10 one. So after Iowa, now Minnesota, um, it, like I said, this one does hurt. And, and you have to ask you know, is this just a pattern we're going to continue seeing? Um, and you hope not. You absolutely understand what's going on. It's it, it's pretty crystal, crystal clear without money coming in, you know, the funding simply not where it once was. Really unfortunate, though, that it's, it's going to these drastic measures, right? I mean, one season off coronavirus now taking down men's tennis programs and tennis programs at large. So, again, you hope that this doesn't become a substantial pattern, but uh, at this point, I'm a little fearful fearful that it is, right? Essentially, it's such programs that have been steeped in success now going down the tubes. I mean, you just got to hope for the best at this point and hope that it's not going to impact more and more programs. No, I'll just say this. If I see a single freaking, you know, basketball or football coach accept a f***ing bonus, like, during these next two or years or whatever it is, or in, even in the next freaking five years, I'm going to be f***ing pissed. Like, I will be so upset if Minnesota or Iowa is dishing out bonuses to their football coaches, to their basketball coaches. Meanwhile, they're canceling sports in the name of, you know, financial prudence, and it's just like— all right, like, okay, you, I just, I will be sniffing out the hypocrisy. Those athletic departments are on my radar now, uh, obviously, and so, yes, I agree with you, just simply tragic. Hopefully, it's not a trend we see emerge. 
Oh, just one other thing we'll do, obviously, before we wrap today's podcast. Uh, we are recording this on Friday, September 11th. Of course, September 11th here in the United States, a day none of us will ever forget. And, uh, you know, obviously, we're all enjoying this action in New York, this U.S. Open. New York, the city struck uh on 9-11, the World Trade Center is being brought down by those planes. And, you know, it's a day that we'll never forget the grief. We'll never forget the sadness for anyone who lost a loved one, for anyone who's just life was forever changed by that moment, as so many lives were. Uh, but, of course, it also reminds us that we can band together, that there is more that brings us together than that separates us, that when we come together, we can, you know, we can recover. We can move forward the way we we did in that moment is what we're going to need to do now, obviously, in the midst of a global pandemic. So uh, obviously, the, you know, this day is a thought is a day that weighs heavy on all of us here in the United States. So just wanted to say that as well before we ended. Uh, Jamie, anything you'd want to add? No, I mean, obviously, you know, on the theme of 9-11, something you and I were very young when it happened, but absolutely something that we both remember as if it was yesterday. And um, just the impact of that reaching the entire country and, and the you know globe as well. At this point, yeah, really, it, it feels weird to say lucky, um, but we have the U.S. Open going on during September 11th. And, you know, we all remember how it was in 2011, right, with 9-11-01 printed on the courts. We can think and mm-hmm. hope that something nice from... Um, in terms of that memory is going to happen at next year's U.S. Open as well. So it's great to be able to have that connection and to remember um, what happened and and those who lost their lives um, fighting against that tragedy. But um, in this case, phenomenal that we have such great tennis going on and, you know, remember how lucky we are that that's our focus, right? That we, that we're thinking that we have the privilege to be able to think about tennis um, instead of that deep tragedy that occurred. So, Phenomenal stuff um, throughout this U.S. Open, and you know, let's hope the level of play now honors um, what's going on during that yeah. tragedy. No, I completely agree with you. Well, then, with that in mind, again, if you have missed any of the action here in New York, be sure to go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. Mini breaks of every day uh, throughout these three weeks in New York. That includes weekends. Of course, we've talked about storylines such as the formation of the PTPA. Uh, we've talked about the Pair 11. We've talked about everything that is happening right now in the tennis world. So if you've missed any of that, be sure to check out the website. Be sure to like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, and Inside Out Podcast. Got the chance to talk with Nina Pantic of Tennis.com, Tumani K of the Guardian about some of those other storylines we haven't been focusing on but have still existed throughout the tennis world right now so be sure to go check those out on the Great Shot podcast feed shout out as always to our super producers Max Ligner and Daniel Westhoff for the f- of an editing job they do day in day out making all of this possible shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports and uh, Aerobar go to MidwestSports.com use that promo code CR15 go to Aerobar.com use that promo code CRACK15 Jamie any final thoughts before we go enjoy ourselves some tennis? Uh, just the fact that I'm second-guessing every pick I made on this entire pod. But other than that, <laughs> now I feel great. <laughs> That's good. That's good. You and I, too. Well, I'll tell you this. We're differing, so one of us is going to be right, which is always a good yeah, feeling, feels right? feels good. <laughs> yeah, there will be some form of gloating. We'll see, you know, for which match is what. But, of course, with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host, James Foster McDonald, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Records and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.